Welcome to Cleft Talk, bringing you discussion on the topics that adults affected by cleft lip and or cleft palate have told us matter to them. Brought to you by the Cleft Lip and Palate Association as part of Clefa's Adult Services Programme, proudly funded by the VTCT Foundation. You're listening to Cleft Talk with Kenny Ardwin and Nikki Davis. My name is Nikki Davis and I'm the Adult Services Officer at Clapper. And I'm Kenny Ardwin and I'm the Adult Services Coordinator. Together we make up Clapper's Adult Service Delivery Team. Welcome to this month's Cleft Talk panel discussion brought to you by Clapper's Adult Services Project, proudly supported by the VTCT Foundation. Cleft Talk is your opportunity to learn more about the topics that adults born with a cleft across the UK told us are important to them through the Adult Survey and Roadshow. We hope that you find our panel discussions both entertaining and informative. Remember that you can keep up with the Adult Services Project online, including watching or listening to this and other panel discussions again at www.clapper.com slash adultservicesproject. You can also join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash groups slash This month on the programme, we are discussing a topic that will hopefully be useful to people if they are making one of those important decisions about whether to have further treatment. Today we hope to provide you with some information so that you feel better informed about decision making and what services you can access. It is our pleasure to welcome our splendid panel guests, Jess Hare and David Drake. Nice. Can you please start by telling us a bit about yourselves and your background? We'll start with you, Jess. Um, as you said, my name is Jess Hare and I am one of two clinical psychologists who work on in the CLEF team here in Scotland. Um, my background is that since qualifying um, as a clinical psychologist, I've only ever worked in CLEF teams. Um, obviously, I'm in Scotland now, but prior to that, I was in the east of England uh, cleft service. So that is that is my background, and that's who I am. So welcome. Thank you. Okay. And I'm David Drake. I'm a consultant cleft and maxillofacial surgeon. Uh, I was a consultant in South Wales for the Welsh Cleft Service for 13 years. And recently moved to Scotland. I'm also just recently been appointed the head of uh, Cleft Network for Scotland, and I'm also a Clapper trustee. Surgically, I do all aspects of cleft surgery uh, in children and in adults. And I've also got an interest in uh, nasal reconstructive surgery and facial deformity surgery, which I do as a MaxFac surgeon. Excellent. Well, I think we're in good hands. A very warm welcome to you both. Thank you. If I'm considering private treatment, will I receive better treatment compared to what is offered through the NHS? You're looking at me, so I'll, I'll answer that one first. Um, so I guess the answer is, uh, for me, would be not necessarily, and I, uh, I think you need to think about what you mean by better. Um, so I would say that the most common reason people seek private treatment um, and would see the, the advantage that many people see is kind of time and accessibility and availability. So many people say that it is um, they have less waiting lists um, in terms of private treatment. Um, but I've met people both who've been very happy with treatment they've received privately and people who've been very unhappy. Um, so whilst I have met people who have been very happy with private treatment, not all the time. Um, so it varies from case to case. 
I think the key with private treatment is picking the person or team that you're seeing mm. and I think if you are looking to have treatment for cleft related issues you need to seek out people who are cleft specialists mm. yeah. um, and then you should and they should be able to offer you the, the appropriate treatment mm. you, you won't get better treatment uh, seeing somebody privately than you would on the NHS it's the same clinicians mm. what the NH what the private system often allows you to do is to pick when and where you're seen and also it negates issues around waiting lists and they're particularly an issue for adult mm. patients in yeah. on cleft mm. services and the reality in the UK at the moment is there are significant waiting lists for mm. adults sure. being treated so I think yeah. some people seek out private treatment to to bypass that or to be able to treat it in a way that suits them um, but I think the key is to, to pick your provider and then you should have a high quality of care Sure, and I hope we'll talk a bit more about that Absolutely. because I think that is one of the things that people often do struggle with, is yeah. knowing where to turn to or, or how to know, you know whether someone's got the relevant experience to be able to, to help them. Um, I'm going to come to you for this next question, yeah. David, but what further treatment generally is available and what sorts of things might I consider returning to treatment for in adulthood? Okay, I think adults return to treatment for a variety of reasons. If I covered sort of the main sort of areas of that, um, I think historically a lot of uh, patients when they finished their cleft pathway when they became adults were then sort of told there was nothing more that could be done or that that was the end of the end of it and that there was no tr more further treatment available particularly patients who are older if patients are in their 40s 50s definitely were told that and of course then cleft services didn't exist as the way they do mm. now mm -hmm. I think the key things that patients come back to me and to cleft service to see us about are issues around the appear appearance related to their lip or their nose or their facial appearance. Uh, issues around their teeth, either the appearance of their teeth or some adults will have uh, things like dental plates that obturate holes in their palates and as they lose teeth and change as they grow and grow older then they become an issue and it's very difficult to find people who can look after those. And some patients return with issues around uh, their speech and things that hadn't been addressed historically mm. or have changed again with age or their social circumstance. Mm. So example, I had a, a grandmother who came because of poor speech because her grandchildren couldn't understand her when she was on the phone. There's a variety of reasons why people come. And I think any of those issues and also then the issues around psychology and things as well, patients should can return for any of those reasons. They're all valid reasons to return. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to pick up on that a bit, Jess, mm -hmm. obviously from the psychology side, because yeah. a, a number of people watching or listening to this may not be familiar with psychology as part of a cleft team. No, absolutely. And um, so, yeah, what sorts of things psychologically might someone return um, for an adulthood? So, uh, like with um, all the other answers you've given, there's a, there's a wide variety. I would say that um, something we see very commonly for people is um, kind of feeling a bit socially anxious, so anxious around other people. Um, usually um, that's about other people maybe noticing difference in how somebody looks or how somebody sounds so lots of people speak to us about issues like that um, we also provide a lot of support about decision making in surgery so if people aren't sure um, or other treatment as well not just surgery so even for decisions about um, dentistry things like that sometimes people are presented with options and they're not sure which way to to go with them so we support around that um, and actually there are, there are issues that we'll uh, link with other people about. So for some people, um, there's actually quite a lot of interest that we've discovered since we started doing um, our initial adult appointments here in Scotland in genetics and people wanting to know about 
um, what the chances are of them having a child with a cleft. Um, so there's lots of psychological and social aspects that people um, return for. Um, and I guess the other big one in terms of psychological support is people making it, we speak to a lot of people about what difference it is they're expecting that a surgery or any other kind of treatment will make in their lives um, because we want to make sure that somebody's expectations of what the surgery will do for them or the treatment will do for them is in line with what we would expect it to do with them for treatment so that's a, that's another big part of our mm. input mm. on the adult team really important stuff i think that's mm. really important is that um what people think can be achieved mm. and what's yeah. achievable can often be uh, sometimes yeah. different mm. and i think modern tv and online stuff can often present a very simplistic view of what might be involved so yeah. going through those discussions and having the time to do that the other thing a few patients adult patients who came to see me in wales had was they had questions about their journey what had happened to them they, yeah. they hadn't been told and so sometimes patients come back in their 30s and 40s yeah. who just want to know where were they treated what operations did they have yeah. so what kind of cleft did they have not yeah. everybody knows that mm. So I think that's another valid reason, just to come back with questions rather than needing a, necessarily a treatment. It's yeah. just to help uh, help mm. us fill in the gaps for them in terms of what's happened to them. Certainly. So this one is uh, for you, Jess. Um, so what advice would you give to a patient who's unsure as to whether or not they want to undergo a further surgical procedure? So the, the first advice I'd give to anyone is to absolutely take your time making that decision. Yeah. Uh, nobody in the cleft team is going to rush you if you're an adult to make a decision on a particular mm -hmm. day or a particular time all the treatment that will happen if you're returning as an adult will be elective which means it's up to you you're electing to do it mm -hmm. um, so the, the first and foremost thing to tell people is don't feel like you need to make a decision very quickly mm -hmm. take all of the time you need um, what people tend to find helpful is some people find it helpful to talk to somebody they um, trust whether that's someone in their family whether it's a friend um, some people might want to talk to somebody in the cleft team whether that's coming back for further consultation about the treatment um, and as, as I mentioned that's something that clinical psychologists and the in cleft teams is ha are happy to hold an appointment just talking about decision making and it doesn't mm. have to be just one appointment um, these are important decisions and it's important that you uh, treat it as a significant decision so don't feel pressured into mm. um, deciding uh, immediately would yeah. be my uh, biggest piece of advice and in terms of what will help you make that decision it varies from person to person so yeah. the same surgery for different people will have different costs that they can see in different benefits mm -hmm. so some somebody who's very concerned about an issue might think that risks and costs associated with the procedure are worth it whereas we see some people who are more on the fence and not sure if they want something and they may their decision making may sway to think well actually the the costs and risks aren't um uh, they kind of outweigh what i think i might get from this mm -hmm. so it's very personal but take your time is the yeah. biggest piece of advice mm -hmm. I think the thing I would say about that is as well that sometimes after patients have been with Jess and the psychology team, questions come up that then need to be discussed yeah. a bit further. Mm. With the set. So there is no time limit or mm. restriction on that and sometimes it can be several appointments yeah. and consultations it's a, it's a process decision and issues it. come up as part of that discussion that maybe patients hadn't thought about or become more important as when they yeah. realise what, what's involved. So I think having those discussions and over several several appointments sometimes, a lot of patients can reach decisions just in one appointment or two mm -hmm. appointments, but sometimes it can take a period and some people need a kind of period just to go away and reflect. Yeah. And that's not yeah. uncommon that patients will say, okay, I'm not sure at the moment, and say we'll come back in six mm -hmm. months, have yeah. a think about things, talk to your family yeah. and your friends and, and then come back and we can have a further discussion. Yeah. 
it's, mm. it's like decision making about anything really mm. I think yeah. everyone in their lives has made decisions quite quickly to do something and then thought oh do I really want to do this mm. um, like buying things I buy things that <laughs> seem really good at the time and then oh, I think why did I do that yeah. um, a lot of regrets I look at my wardrobe yes. and think yeah. <laughs> what was I thinking <laughs> um, and yeah it's a decision making pro the, it's a process just like any other take mm. your time mm. yeah I think, I think the other thing I would say is write stuff down I think mm. I always tell patients yeah. that when they when they go home you have these discussions and things come into your head they, they, they don't feel pressure bust but it, it can be an intimidating environment and then you reflect on things write them down and mm -hmm. I, we're never bothered about people coming up come with lists yep. it's much better to have have those written down you remember what you want to ask and lots of people now come it's on the phone they've made a set of notes on the phone yeah, and they can sh show us photographs and things and talk about specific things and the details and just go through that process and I say that can take two or three consultations so mm -hmm. yeah don't if you so have any questions about it in your head don't let them go unanswered no yeah absolutely Ask one of us. absolutely mm. definitely definitely I think that writing them down is such mm. a good idea because I, I know myself you know my own health care like you know you go away and you think oh it's the second round the door yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> why didn't I ask that but, you know, write them down um and come back so uh, once a person has undergone private treatment are they still mm. able to get advice and help from the NHS if they choose to go privately okay I think if they've had private treatment and they have a concern about treatment's been provided them privately the first thing they should always do is talk to the people who provided that treatment for them I think if there uh, there is a mixed economy or potentially a mixed economy where they have private treatment for one aspect and then return for, with issues around other areas mm -hmm. and I'm not aware of any cleft service that would turn people away because they sought treatment privately and patients always have a right to do that as I say, and if other issues come up, it's a very specialist yeah. area, mm -hmm. and so they may come back and seek advice and treatment for us for other, other issues, and that's not a problem at all. But if it's a specifically related to something that you've had done, you're not happy with it, or you want to talk about it, then you should always, first of all, return mm -hmm. to the clinician. And uh, clinicians who are providing good quality private care will have that built in and that mm -hmm. facility built mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. So that, that's normally part of a package of care. Yeah, I, th so. I think what I'd add to that as well is that um, you will be able to get help and advice from the team, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you will be able to have a treatment to um, put right what you see as having gone wrong. Um, so there are all kinds of reasons why there might not be further procedures that you can have. Um, so I have, uh, I've had experience with people who've had private treatment and um, kind of had the idea that it's okay, I'll go to the CLEF team, the CLEF team can sort it out, and there's not always further um, treatments that can be done in those cases, um, which is why if... Uh, why um, when we were just discussing the kind of policy around um, private care mm. we would recommend talking to the CAF team um, first and consulting with them if you are considering something else um, because we don't want people to think that everything can be um, you can kind of have things reversed if you're not mm. happy with them because that's not always the case. I think also I, I've, I've seen patients both CLEF patients and non-CLEF patients who've sought treatment in the private sector not been sure about what they've been advised and they've come to speak to me mm -hmm. as an NHS consultant about the, what's been discussed and advice around that as well and I think that would be another thing yeah. to say if you've been offered treatment and you're not happy or you're not sure then to get an independent view is yeah. a valid thing to do as well mm. and as I say and also in terms of if you're not sure about the providers you're seeing you can ask the cleft team in terms yeah. of what we would think of that or what might be the issues around that and we can they can be discussed as well yeah mm. and I know that some people feel it's uncomfortable doing that because they feel like um, they're talking to us and it will be seen as that they've chosen to go elsewhere but we're not going to take it personally yeah. if somebody um, speaks to 
private clinicians, we know there's all sorts of reasons that somebody might go there. Um, we're most in interested in people being safe and you know receiving care that's appropriate for them. Mm -hmm. um, so don't feel that we'll take it personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's that's really important. And one of the things that you know we see from time to time on the Facebook page mm -hmm. is that someone may have been told they're ineligible for treatment through the NHS and they go to a private mm -hmm. practitioner um, which is prepared to do something that the CLEF team wasn't. Yeah. So I guess people need to be really clear as to why they're being told yes. no. And it, is it for a you know medical safety reason or, or is it because it falls outside the parameters yeah. of what yeah. the NHS can provide? I think, I think that does vary a little bit around the UK and I think some patients are blocked at accessing care because mm -hmm. it's uh, GP fund holding type arrangements um, I think but I think if you get the other thing that people sometimes worry about is if they have complications from a private mm -hmm. provider they can struggle to access care from those providers in certain mm -hmm. circumstances and uh, the reality is in the, in the NHS my NHS practice I've picked up the pieces of patients who've had aesthetic procedures on their face and we, at the end of the day, we are the safety stop for them. And they, mm -hmm. if pa patients are struggling, they shouldn't be afraid to come and speak to no, us. And we can advise them about that as well. Discussed a lot on the Clap Ranolds Facebook page, mm -hmm. um, our lip fillers and lip tattooing. Okay. Um, can you explain sort of what these procedures are for people? Okay, I'll separate those into two separate they things. They are quite separate. Yeah. Okay. And, and people do lump yeah. them together. No, no. Just, yeah. Yeah. So lip fillers are, you'll see them all the time. They're, Five years ago, they weren't really a commonly done thing. In in, ge in the general population, they become very popular mm. and very trendy at the moment. So mm. lots of, particularly teenagers, teenage girls who've got clefts are asking for lip fillers because all their friends are having lip fillers as well. Mm. It's not necessarily mm. a cleft-specific mm. thing. But lip fillers are basically it's an, a solution that can be injected into the lip and essentially increases the volume of the lip. And in cleft, we tend to use that for help patients who've got issues with asymmetry or thinness in one part of the lip to, to address those concerns. Uh, as a cleft service, we wouldn't make someone's lip who would look, look mm. normal looking lip, make it bigger because mm. that's essentially, they're asking for what their friends are having. But the problem is, is that patients who had cleft lips treated more difficult to put filler into because of the relationship of the scar to the lip mm -hmm. and so therefore it, it is a kind of specialist area um, a lot of cleft services do offer it and again it varies around the UK so in Wales where I was based we offered it for cleft patients and we do offer it in Scotland for cleft patients mm -hmm. but in England I think it varies service to service what's available and in what format and when, how that would be provided so I think mm -hmm. for any patient who's considering a lip filler or has got concerns about the shape of their lip, then they should speak to a, the cleft clinicians. Mm. They could advise them what's available and also advise them if they're thinking of seeking out treatment by uh, a non-cleft service person, then they might seek advice whether that's a good idea. And unfortunately, I've had patients, cleft patients who've sought treatment from somebody I wouldn't recommend anybody to go mm, and see mm. and I've had very poor outcomes. Mm. The good news in terms of fillers are they are they're designed to be temporary. There are I would never have a permanent filler in a cleft lip. So most fillers that be provided are temporary so they will wear off. So that, that that's the good news, but I think it, fillers mm. can provide a lot of uh, positives and also they can allow patients to see what's possible because then you can move on to using fat graphs to, to reproduce that effect of a filler. So the fillers allow you to see what's possible. 
a lot of that is available on the NHS, but pay, they, they need to ask the, the cleft teams in their local mm. area what's available and yeah. what what the issues are around that. But I definitely would not seek cleft uh, lip fillers from people who aren't experienced at working with cleft patients. Mm. And I think that's really valuable advice. That's something we try to reiterate mm. yeah. um, on the Facebook page. But obviously, um, you know, one thing we we do see is um, that some people have had you know they, they feel they've had quite a favorable mm. experience so, yeah. and we we get concerned about them recommending it to other yeah. people i think something else that i've seen recently is um some people who have a cleft palate only and don't have a cleft lip have also um said that they've heard there are cleft uh, that there are lip fillers available to people with a cleft and that's not the case if you've had a cleft palate only because um and unless there's been something with your lip involved in terms of your cleft that's not related. Um, so if you have a cleft palate only, that's not a service um, in terms of appearance to do with lips, that would be available to you. So I think to reiterate, I think fillers have a lot of positives for cleft patients and they can achieve very subtle things that I can't achieve all the time mm. surgically. Mm. So they, they're definitely something that we like to use and they've got very very specific areas we use them in, but they are a positive. We've, u- we've used them for years actually, but because they become very popular in the general population, mm. I think people become much more aware of them. Mm. Mm. Um, in terms of uh, the lip tattooing, that's essentially where a, uh, that, that, that sort of pr- practice came from people having permanent or semi-permanent lip liners and mm. eye, sh- eye liners put on. And so there are people who specialize in tattooing the lips and the eyelid areas mm-hmm. uh, who aren't medical tattooists mm-hmm. and they're, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're in the general population. But part of what they can do is sometimes they can adjust lip lines by using tattooing inks to change the appearance of a lip very subtly. Um, they're not available on the NHS and I've had a couple of patients who've asked me about that. There are mm-hmm. a few medical tattooers who often work within, actually within the breast services where, because they did a lot of stuff mm-hmm. to do with breast reconstruction, mm-hmm. but there are, there are none that I'm aware of in the UK and I've tried to find out before. There are a few tattooists who specialise in those areas. I would go and, if someone's advertising the fact they are specialists in that area, I would go and speak to them and to see what they've done and then check they're regulated in a proper way for mm. any tattooist would mm. be and there mm. are regulations around that um, but I think also I would speak to the cleft service mm-hmm. to, to say what what the concern is and is there tattoo a way that could be addressed because there may be other options in terms to address that in terms of su- sometimes a subtle lip provision under local anaesthetic may address the same issue mm and without the sort of issues around tattooing and getting trying to find someone who can provide that it is quite difficult to provide there are a couple of people online who advertise the fact they specialize in that area and i guess through the facebook page people might find or identify mm. people mm. but if you're going to have a tattoo i would view that as having a mm. tattoo in the same way that you would any other tattoo mm. and make sure they're regulated in the appropriate way mm. and i think that feeds really nicely actually into the next sort of question which mm. is that if you are a patient and are unsure of the credentials and experience of the, the practitioner I know it's something we've spoken yes. at length about <laughs> is that um, you know people don't necessarily know at a glance like if someone's a health professional no. when they're calling themselves a practitioner um, so how would you recommend people approach the conversation about wanting to see evidence that they're appropriately qualified uh, for what they're doing I think ultimately I would encourage people to do that before they arrange to see the people and I think anybody who is a qualified and appropriate practitioner 
um, or clinician will have no issue with you asking that question. They'll probably be quite happy that you did ask that question. Um, but I think you, it is something that we've spoken about before is sometimes um, people will present themselves in a misleading way mm. um, and there are certain titles that people can use that don't technically mean they're qualified in that area. So for example, um, I know that in the policy that we've written, we've mentioned um, about the, um, if somebody's called doctor, does not make them a medical doctor, doesn't mean they've had medical training. Um, for example, I my title is doctor, but I've had no medical training. I'm a doctor in clinical psychology. Um, and dentists will also um, be called doctor, whereas confusingly, yourself as a surgeon, um, once you train as a surgeon, you lose the doctor title and revert to being called Mr. Mr. Um, so Dave is not masquerading as a surgeon. He is very much a surgeon. Um, but definitely I would advise that if you found somebody online um, or through another service, get in touch with... Um, their clinic or their team and ask um, about that. Mm. There are certain professions who will have a register. Um, so psychology um, have the uh, Healthcare Professional Council register. So we will be um, listed on there. And there are equivalents for nurses and doctors. And do surgeons have their own one or do you come under the doctors? We're under the GMC, so the yeah. General Medical Council. So, um, But yes, I think my general advice would be be aware and ask the question of exactly what training that person has had um, and also ask exactly how much experience they've had with people with a cleft also um, because people may be willing and interested in working with people with a cleft but won't necessarily have had um, experience in doing mm. so. I don't know if you have any particular things to add to that, Dave? Yeah, I think I think there's certain things that there are, th there are three arms to that question. First of all, someone's basic qualification, so what are they? Mm -hmm. And certain people <laughs> providing surgery would be surgeons mm. or potentially could be dentists in theory as well it's in certain aspects um, but in terms of the fillers and things they can be nurses as well so you want to know if what, what their basic qualifications are you want to know what training they've undergone in terms of in terms of facial uh, surgery or facial aesthetics and also and then in cleft specific environments uh, and this could be dentists as well in terms of providing complex crown and bridge work implant based stuff all the same questions uh, and then which regulatory bodies are they affiliated with so for example a surgeon would be on the general medical council register as a doctor then also would be normally a, a fellow of one of the royal colleges and would also be a member of the, their regulatory body which is like BATPRAS for a plastic surgeon mm -hmm. British Association of Maxillofacial Surgeons for, for my association and and then you'd want to know what their experience are in cleft and these are all valid questions and any clinician who is active in the cleft environment and doing involved with this would happily answer all those questions mm. and mm -hmm. these are things you can check online if you want to yeah. check mm. uh, but i think they're very important if people uh, don't want to provide those or they appear uncomfortable when they're asked those questions then i'd go and find a different clinician mm. it's yeah. that simple yeah. okay because it, you, i would not feel uncomfortable in any shape or form up people ask me any yeah, of those questions absolutely. and i guess once you've if you're positive all of those then the next question would be can you tell me how many patients you've treated these, these are all questions you should ask mm. any mm. surgeon Definitely. is in terms of their experience and that will vary depending how long someone's been a consultant mm. Mm. but it's that kind of getting a feel for that commitment and interest in, in treating people affected by cleft and how and where that that, that surgeon or clinician is, yeah. is with that and that could be that could be a speech therapist a dentist yep. psychologist whatever Definitely. it's about getting a feel for that
Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, I suppose as a final word of warning, don't be um, don't be misled by somebody putting lots of strange initials and things in brackets mm. after their name. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that they'll have mm. done something that's specifically relevant to that area or to cleft. Mm. Excellent. So some adults may have had treatment a long time ago and not be over familiar with the process for receiving treatment from a cleft team nowadays. Say for instance that I wasn't happy with how my nose looked and wanted a nose job, what would the process be to inquire about having surgery? That's going to vary a bit per team. Um, uh, for example, in Scotland, we do allow people to self-refer. We have a mm -hmm. self-referral form. Um, but I suppose the way that lots of people who haven't received care from a cleft team for a long time or who were told that things would stop when they were an adult, because that was the case when they were growing up, um, some people find it difficult to find their way back to the cleft team through um, primary care, so through the GP or their um, dental practitioner. Um, so actually what we would um, suggest as being the best way is that we know that on Clapper they have the website of all the cleft teams. Mm. Um, so look at which team covers your area and send an email to that team and ask how they get referred uh, because every team will have slightly different ways um, that, that, that that happens but people often find that a, a better way to get into the service than going to a GP or a dentist who just needs to happen to know the information mm. about that. Mm. Um, but we still in Scotland um, have people who have been told recently, you know, um, within the past couple of months by their uh, by their general dentist, no, uh, you can't have any treatment as an adult with a cleft, and that's actually not true, mm. but may have been true once. So check the CAPA page of the teams mm. would be what we'd recommend to people. Definitely, and you can get in touch with us as yeah. well if people have problems Absolutely. there we're always happy I think help. I think mm. being proactive and I think if you contact the cleft team if you google cleft team for whichever area you're in if you're in Liverpool or Manchester yeah. it'll come yeah. up and there'll be points of contact yeah some have fantastic fancy websites yeah. we don't no. we will one day <laughs> but if you ring up the person or speak to the person there and say I'd, I'd like to be seen how do I go about that and then you're armed with that information that if you go to your de so a dentist mm -hmm. or a doctor can refer you into a cleft team you can go to your your practitioner and say I'd like to be referred I've spoken to the team this is what they need and they say some teams will accept a, a referral directly in yeah. by the patient yeah. others it will just need to come through the clinician but if you know that you can yeah. overcome a barrier that may that's the main barrier some clinicians won't refer because they don't think you're entitled mm. to or allowed yeah. to have access to mm. it as an adult they think it's a, a paediatric mm. service mm. So that's important. The other thing, sometimes when you, if you Google things, you'll come up with team members, like you might come up with me, for example. Mm -hmm. Well, then if you contacted me or my secretary, then we'd know the pathway to do that. And that's another way yeah. in as well. But contact the teams at, either through Clapper or through, directly through, through the web. Yeah. And then we'll be able to advise people what they need to do. Yeah, but no, nobody should be declined treatment because mm -hmm. they're an adult. No. Or certainly access to the discussions around yeah. treatment. Mm -hmm. and I, I would say to anyone who has received the message, however recently, no, there isn't anything in your area that wasn't directly from the cleft team in your area. Ask, your, ask the cleft team again, because they will be able to give you the definitive answer. Because um, I think pe I've known lots of people who've lost faith because they were told mm. by somebody no. Mm. Yeah, um, but check with the cleft team. Mm. Definitely, definitely, and I, I deal with quite a few of those queries every yeah. week where mm. someone's been told, told no, and we've gone back to the cleft team mm. and, and got a different different yeah. answer. So, and also being aware that if you move location as well, you're entitled mm. to access a cleft team in your new location. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we've largely um, covered this, but just um, for the avoidance of, of any doubt, so mm. if um, people are inquiring about having a procedure either in um, NHS or private practice, um, can they expect to be informed about the whole procedure including all the follow-up care? They should be. 
Absolutely. I mean, any consultation for treatment should involve a full explanation of what that treatment involves, and that should be the preoperative workup. And that could be very simple to quite complex. Mm -hmm. Then, what the treatment involves in terms of you know being in hospital, local anaesthetic, the whole gambit of what that involves and then also an outline of what the follow-up would be in terms yeah. of we're going to see you three times you're going to have these dressings you need those taken you know, whatever it is you would get you should be informed of the whole pathway and good clinicians and good services will do that automatically but if you haven't feel that you don't understand what the process would be or what's going to happen to me if I have that operation what would happen afterwards yeah. ask the question and a, a good clinician will not have a problem with that you're not being intrusive yeah. or upsetting mm -hmm. me this is what this is the way it's going to be and, th and for any procedure based or any treatment within cleft there will be a follow-up protocol that most teams will have it will vary team to team mm. yeah. but actually we'll all have our own personal preferences of when we like to see patients and how long we'll do that follow-up for yeah. Sure. And I, th I think that is absolutely vital to being able to make an informed decision. You need to have information about the whole of what that treatment involves, treatment's a process, not just the bit of um, when the surgery or when the dentistry is happening. There's a whole pathway that should go with every treatment. For, for some treatments, that's going to be relatively short. For others, it's going to be longer. But um, yes, I'd encourage anyone to ask about the whole timeline of what would you'd expected to do before and what commitments you're expected to have before. Um, because some treatments might take quite a, um, a lot of preparation mm. and appointments um, before the uh, live bit of the treatment, as people would see. I think a good example is orthognathical jaw mm. surgery. That Yes, there is the jaw surgery that happens, but actually there's quite a long pathway and a lot of commitment involved before um, that point. So when you're thinking about a treatment, you want to be learning about the whole timeline of that treatment. Um, there is no treatment that I can think of that doesn't have any kind of costs in terms of time or some kind of um, things to bear in mind for the recovery period and guidance you'll need to follow um, and know about. So if anyone tells you, no, there's um, no costs, no risks at all to this procedure, just ask again, mm. um, because I can't think of many things where no. you would literally be able to skip off that day and mm. life would resume as, yeah. no. <laughs> as, as normal. I know. And I think, you know, it's a, a question that adults often have is you know how much time is this going to mean off, off work mm -hmm. or university or, or whatever and so really important i think again yeah. that notebook and pen you know yeah. going into appointments definitely and i think and i think most surgeons and teams will be realistic in terms of that and it will also vary depending on what you do so mm. if you work mm -hmm. in the sort of environment for example treated a patient recently works in a in a sawmill now his time off work is a bit longer than somebody works in an office yeah. because of the yeah. environment he's in. So yeah. that will vary depending on your personal circumstances as well. Yeah. But it's important you understand that. And also, if you're, for example, if you're self-employed, having three weeks off work has mm. got a, a significant financial mm. impact. So yeah. in terms of time and things around surgery, that can be important too. Mm. So that's as Jess said right at the start, this, this whole picture of how it's going to affect you and your, your life yeah. and what you're yeah. doing. It's just not about just a quick procedure. It's about how, yeah. how you recover from it and everything else. So you, you need to take all that into account. And I'd say to take, um, to, for people to particularly um, bear in mind, we see lots of people who say that they would like a treatment done by a particular time um, I think common things I hear are before university or before mm. starting a new job or for a wedding. Um, weddings are big ones. Um, and actually, realistically, it's going to be difficult, especially for um, NHS teams to be able to guarantee mm. you a time. Um, and we would want to uh, think, you know, if, if you're thinking that you can only see yourself starting that job or going to that college or, or getting married, if this has been able to happen beforehand, that's something um, to, to talk to your psychologist mm. about. And it, that's not about... Um, 
that's not going to be us sitting down and thinking there's something wrong with you about that but it's just that would suggest that your expectations there's a lot that you're invested in mm. and mm. Um, you're expecting that treatment will change something significant and concrete and tangible for you mm. um, and that's something that we know having seen people who have had treatment that um, they won't necessarily make that overnight difference to your life um, that you're expecting. So if you are thinking that it needs to be tied in with a particular life event, do talk to us about that um, and we will talk to you about the reality of that being able to, to be able to happen um, and also about whether there might be some expectations built in with that that we, um, however talented uh, <laughs> your surgeon is or anyone else who's pr pr providing treatment, um, there's going to be limitations to everything that can be achieved. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I think one of the key problems for adult services across the UK is as an elective non-emergency mm. non procedure, accessing beds and mm. resources is difficult. Mm. And I think that was true where I was in Wales, it's true in Scotland. Yep. Adult services, it, it, there's a long waiting list for, once treatment has been decided, there's still a long waiting list for that. Uh, I think that's a problem across the board. Yeah. All the surgical procedures we talked about and you think about for adults should be available on the NHS, but access to those resources and access to beds and theatres to do them is difficult at the moment across the UK. Mm -hmm. But again, the teams would be able to inform you about that and they'll be honest if you if you say, how long am I going to have to wait realistically? Mm. They'll tell mm. you, they'll be able to put yeah. a time frame on that for you and then it's your decision how that fits in with what you want or require. Yeah. yeah. If at any time you have second thoughts about your treatment, are you able to change your mind? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Please, <laughs> please do. <laughs> any, anything that you have uh, as a treatment, almost any surgery you have as an adult, as a cleft, cleft patient, mm. is an elective thing. It's your choice. You've chosen to talk about it, or you're worried about it, and you want to have it done. If you then change your mind, you're not going to upset or affect mm. yourself mm. adversely. So that's not a problem at all. And again, that would be just come back and talk to us. And if yeah. and there's no, there's not normally any time pressure to treat any of these things. If you treated it in a year's time or two years time, it wouldn't make any difference to the outcome as an yeah. adult. Mm -hmm. but, so that doesn't. So it doesn't matter if you want to wait. Yeah. I think so, uh, there's an old phrase: if in doubt, do not. So if you're not sure, give yourself some thinking time rather than diving in one way or the other. And you certainly shouldn't feel under any pressure by any clinician. If you're being put under pressure by a clinician to have a treatment, you're seeing the wrong clinician. Yeah. Okay. And I would never put anybody under any pressure. It's always your decision. And if you then change your mind, if you change your mind not to have surgery and then came back six months later and said, actually, I've really thought about it and yeah. I would like to proceed mm -hmm. with that, that's fine too. So that works both ways. Yeah. But don't, be, don't ever be shy about voicing a concern or if, you're not, if you, wanna, you don't want to have something done, always say. Yeah. I think there are some complex treatments, particularly related to dental implants and then complex restorative work mm -hmm. and also the jaw moving surgery the orthomathic surgery that requires quite a lot of complex workup yeah. and so once you commit into that pathway you you're then changing yourself in preparation for something that's mm -hmm. going to be done mm -hmm. and so therefore that's a decision yeah. you have to really think about so the time to but even if you then were halfway into that preparation and said actually I can't go through with this it might be difficult to undo it but it still wouldn't, we'd still recognise and respect that. And, yeah. and so it's always your decision. It's, yeah. it's your body. It's not an emergency thing you have to have done, otherwise you're not going to be well. This is something that you, you, you're doing, you've got valid reasons for doing mm -hmm. it, but you can change your mind at any time. That's not a problem either. Yeah, we, we want people to make informed decisions that are the right thing for them. And 
you um, as the person accessing the service are the only person can know whether it's right for you we can say what's available and say from like a clinical perspective whether we think it could benefit you but it's going to be subjective whether it's the right procedure for you or whether it's the right time so we do see people who at a certain time have been told an option and they've thought no not now but then things might change it might be due to different life circumstances like finding yourself with a bit more free time um, but we are more than happy we would encourage people in fact to change their minds yeah. if they're having reservations um, and as we said earlier if that's about feeling like you need more information please ask for it first yeah. don't sit there quietly on a waiting <laughs> list worrying about something mm -hmm. thinking you'll only find out the answer once you've had it done um, come forward and ask us um, we'd be I think we'd all feel happy as a team to know that people are coming forward yeah. with questions or saying that they changed their mind. And we don't want people sitting there worrying about it quietly and not getting in touch. Absolutely <laughs> not. And you both um, touched on in this discussion as well, the complexities around orthopedic surgery mm -hmm. in particular and sort of the work up around that. And we do have an entire panel discussion dedicated to that coming up in November oh, as well, yeah. because it is, um, it is a yeah. big commitment on people's, yeah. people's part. Yes. No, absolutely. It is, and it's something that I know that I've, that even that as we've been saying, all of these things are elective. Um, I've met lots of people who either themselves or their families were told that at a point in time where it didn't sound optional. That is optional. I'm sure you'll be mm. covering that in November. But if you were ever told that as an adult, you would have to have something. But just check with your team yeah. why it was that you had to have it, um, because in most cases that's, that shouldn't be true. No, no, and it leads nicely actually into this this next question, which is there, which we see a lot on the Facebook page as well. You know, where people get themselves a little bit stuck because there often can be a scenario where people are told different things from different people, mm -hmm. which obviously makes it very confusing to make a decision. And those people could be it could be different clinicians with different mm -hmm. views, but it could be family, it could be friends, it could be other people influencing um, someone's decision making. So, what would you recommend people do if they really don't know what to do? They really don't know what to do. Um, I think it's uh, kind of uh, just responding to something in that question. I think many people expect uh, medicine to be more black and white than it is in terms of yes, something can be done or no, it can't. And actually, in any um, healthcare profession, there's going to be certain kind of shades of grey within that mm -hmm. where there are going to be subjective calls that clinicians will be making about whether they think something's right or not. Um, so. If you're hearing different, differing opinions for people, it doesn't mean that somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Um, the, the answers just aren't always that black and white. Um, again, if you're, if you're really stuck, you're really not sure what you want to do, um, write down questions if you've been saying, what more information do you feel would be relevant to you to try and help you make that decision? What is it that you're not sure about? Um, speak to the people that you trust. Um, please do uh, arrange an appointment to talk to the psychologist in your team just about decision making. We are very happy to do that. I think, um, I know certainly in our service information leaflet in Scotland, but I'm sure this applies elsewhere. That's one of the things we list as something that we support with is decision making. Um, it's a big decision. So if you really don't know, remember that there's no pressure. You don't have to know everything right now. You don't have to decide right now. And think about who you would, if it would be helpful for you to talk to somebody else, whether that's friends, family, the psychologist, or if it's just finding out more from the members of the team. Mm -hmm. Definitely, it's just kind of that general acknowledgement that making mm. these decisions is hard yeah. as well. You know, they're not decisions that you know, m most people have to make. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, acknowledging that even that process it is quite, quite a thing Definitely. to go through. I, I don't itself. actually, David, it might be that you would be able to tell all of us, um, why is it that two different surgeons might say differing things? Yeah, I think uh, 
most people, most surgeons recognise that cleft is a complex area. It's a very specialised area. And in a lot of surgery, there's often more than one way to approach a problem. And so, and which also sometimes will achieve slightly different things. And so if you see two clinicians with the same problem, you may get slightly different answers in terms of the way to address that. Doesn't mean either of those are wrong. Mm-hmm. It just means there's more than one approach. And, that, and a surgeon's approach is based on their experience, the people who train them, the people who've influenced them. There's lots of things that come into play. Mm-hmm. And also their experience of what they can achieve with the techniques that they use. And you know, as a surgeon, I've been a consultant almost 15 years. My, what I do is evolve by things that I've done that have worked, some things that haven't worked so well. And if you saw another surgeon, they may get good results with a thing that doesn't work so well for me. Mm-hmm. So you, you'll get a different picture. If you, you know, I've seen patients who've seen two or three clinicians and have come to me for a, a, an opinion on those three options. Yeah. And a good clinician should be able to put those into perspective. And it may be also the impact it has on you in terms of what that would achieve and what that would involve in terms of some treatments could be simpler some could be more complex and and some surgeons prefer simpler approaches some like more complex approaches Mm. there's there's lots of very i think talking to to a surgeon about what the options are what they can achieve and it's often compromised there's not a pure that will achieve everything for you this this might give you those three things this technique might give you those three things which one do you think would suit you better is going to address what you're worried about more that's that's developing a conversation relationship to understand what a patient is wanting from treatment and what I can deliver doing different things and actually sometimes I'll say to patients you've got three options here there's mm. like a menu mm. yeah. from very simple mm. which is all, it actually can include doing nothing mm. all the way up to quite complex mm. treatments so how do those sound to you and these are the impacts on those for those different things which one do you think would fit best with you and you can go away and think about those and come back yeah. And if you get other opinions from surgeons, you may get even more approaches coming mm-hmm. to the mix, which, mm-hmm. because you, as, you, as you said, can be quite confusing. Even, even for surgeons, we could sit in a, if you get four surgeons in a room with the same problem and all have different ways of yeah. treating mm-hmm. it. doesn't mean any of those are wrong. They could probably all achieve really nice, if they're all experts in that area, would achieve nice results, but they're just different ways of going at it. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, I guess, in a way, looking at a looking at a car mm. and thinking well, what, which, which way do you want to drive it what do you yeah. want to you know everybody has slightly yeah. different approaches but all reach the same point in that's the end exactly right. I think it can be anxiety provoking for people if they mm. come expecting to get a solid answer to be told yes or no the kind of expert health professional model you need this mm. this will um, yeah. this will fix your problem and I think mm. that's a word that we hear a lot as well um, people say uh, this this problem needs to be fixed and actually it's only a problem if it feels like a problem to you and any any treatment is going to be an attempt to address that problem that you're raising rather than the solution to a concrete yeah. problem. Um, so yes, expect some fuzzy, um, <laughs> different options, a variety, a menu of options in some cases. Um, you're more likely to get that than a straightforward, yes, we should do this, this mm. is the right thing. I think you can often improve things, but you can't always address everything. Mm. Yeah. And I think that, and I, that's me being realistic. And I think it's important that patients understand that as well that's about expectations so yeah. as i say i'd love to be able to achieve a hundred percent result mm. yeah. to the patients mm. every time i do a, do an operation or a procedure yeah. but i can't and no no one can but yeah. it, we'll, do, we'll do our best to achieve what we can 
but sometimes I know that there'll be limitations relating to previous surgeries or scarring yeah. or there's some issues that come into play and it's my job to explain those to a patient yeah. to understand what, what we can achieve. And the, the, the kind of comparison I often use, which puts it in perspective with some people quite nicely, is that it's like if you've ever gone to a hairdresser's mm. with a picture of oh, someone like, <laughs> if I went with Cheryl Cole's hair and said, make me look like this, there's only so much people can do with um, the different uh, kind of things that people have about them. Everything's individual. And anyone who can say, yes, I can make you look exactly like that picture, can they really? Mm. I'm not sure they could, and I'm not sure they could without me having to subscribe to daily blow dries and things. Um, so if you've ever gone to a hairdresser and not quite quite come out with the um, picture that you had in mind, the same thing can happen with this kind yeah. of treatment as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and last question. So if this discussion has got some people thinking that they would maybe like to get in touch with the cleft team, how can I make an appointment? Look up. Clapper's uh, list of cleft teams. Yeah. Uh, find who is in your area. If you're not sure which of two teams is in your area, send an email to both of them. They'll be able to tell you. I think it's usually postcodes that decide yep. um, which. Uh, if you're near a border of certain places, um, it's easy for us. If you're in Scotland, you, you're with us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, look at that list of um, teams and send an email or, or give them a call. Excellent. I, th I think the other thing I would say, part of that is if you're seeking out private treatment then be very careful with who you're seeing. Mm. And again, mm. speak to your local cleft teams if you found a, cl a clinician or provider yeah. online or you've been to see somebody and you're not sure, speak to your local cleft teams in the yeah. same way. But I think the first port call, wh wh whichever route you want to go, is speak to your local cleft mm. teams. You better Definitely. get advice on all of that. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Really important stuff. Well, thank you both. That's all we've got time for on the panel discussion this month. We hope that um, you at home have found this discussion to be useful and interesting. Remember that you can access more information and listen again to this and other panel discussions on our website at www.clapper.com slash adult services project. And if this discussion has made you wish to want to follow up about your own treatment, as we are mentioning before, please um, you can contact your GP and request a referral to the cleft team or have a look at the details um, of your local cleft team on our website. We'd like to thank our panellists Jess Hare and David You're Drake welcome. from the Scotland team for joining us today for today's discussion as well as a big thank you to your home for joining us yes thank you very much <laughs> to you both um, and make sure to join us again next month when we'll be in bristol discussing kissing sex and intimacy sounds interesting you'll <laughs> want to make sure to bring your notepad to that one absolutely <laughs> bye, for, <laughs> bye for now <laughs> hey guys thanks for tuning in we want to know what you thought of the program so we can make it even better if you found this program interesting please make sure that you subscribe to our podcast our next podcast and video is coming up at the end of next month. Check out www.clapper.com slash cleftalk to find out what we'll be talking about next. You can also watch this and other panel discussions again on our website. And we want your questions to take to the panel. So visit our panel discussion page on our website to submit your questions. You also can check out everything we're up to with the Adult Services Project, including a list of our upcoming programmes and events at www.clapper.com slash adult services project and finally don't forget you can also follow us on twitter and facebook we look forward to seeing you again soon bye for now bye